we in North Carolina? I mean, if we were in South Carolina, that'd still be good, wouldn't it? I tell us every time I teach, we do about 60 seminars a year. This is our 26th year, so we go everywhere. But I love going to Texas because when you go to Texas, yeah. <laughs> everywhere I go, I say, well, God bless wherever I'm at. And so uh, if you go to Connecticut, you say, God bless Connecticut, they just stare at you. If you go to Texas, you say, God bless Texas, a revival will break out. They'll holler and scream and shout and jump up. And they get excited because... They love Texas. And I finally get them to sit down and say, well, I'm glad you love Texas. God bless you. And I said, now, personally, I'm an Okie. And the greatest thing about being an Okie is whipping a Texan. We'd rather whip you than anybody. If our football team goes 0-12 and, and we beat Texas, there's a God in heaven and he loves us. And they don't clap for that either, so i just go ahead and share that with them. So. Uh, God's in a really kind of moving mood right now. We are living at the greatest time of human history. If we could have gone back in time and you could have been at the beginning before there was a heaven, before there was an earth, just God. And if you could have gone up like God did John off the Isle of Patmos in Revelation, brought him up, showed him the future. Son, right, get your pen out, write this down. I'm going to show you the future. And so John looked out into the future because there's no time in heaven. Heaven is eternity. Uh, people that have gone to heaven, they haven't been there two years, ten years, eighty years, a thousand years. There's no time in heaven. It's eternity. There's no concept. It doesn't get dark. It's light all the time. Uh, you don't ever get hungry. We eat all the time in heaven. There's no bathrooms. You don't have any bowel movements. It's, it's heaven. <laughs> you don't need any Alka-Seltzer. It's all good food, really. You're going to like it. And so, so anyhow, um, if you had gone back in time and, and you could look, and God would say, now, son, when would you like to be born? I'm about to create everything. When would you like to be born? You wouldn't be born here in the beginning with Adam and Eve? And if you could have seen it, you know, in the video screen, like, no, that's not going to go too good. They're going to get fired from the job, evicted from the house. Kids are going to start killing each other. No, thank you. Well, you like boats, don't you? Oh, yeah, Lord, I love boats. Would you like to be here with Noah? And so he shows the video of Noah. I says, no, 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 you know, a lot of, a lot of days on that boat, no rudder, no motor, and going to be shoving a lot of stuff. No, thank you. I don't want to be on the boat. Well, would you like to be warm when my son comes to earth? You know, silent night, holding out we through kings of Orinoc. Well, let me look at that one. And all of a sudden you see that video and you see them nail men to cross the 70 miles either side of Jerusalem. It was a nasty time to be alive. And I said, no, thank you, Father. I'll, I'll skip that one. Well, son, you have to pick some time to be born. When would you like to be born? Well, Lord, if I could pick, I want to choose the last days. When your word promises, you'll part your spirit without measure. Our sons and daughters will prophesy, not cuss us out in the kitchen. Well, dream dreams and have visions. It's going to be the greatest day of human history in the last days. Now, at the same time, there's always been two barracudas swimming side by side, God and the devil. People on my, I got a big family. My, my dad had 12 brothers and sisters. My father-in-law had 12 brothers and sisters. Big family. And I'm the only preacher in the whole bunch and have to be Pentecostal and messing with everybody. But they like it because I'll do all the weddings and funerals for free. <laughs> now, I've been all over America, but he burying or marrying you, so... And I, and I said, does it matter if we go to church or not or where we go? I don't care. I don't care where you go. I'll marry you. I'll bury you. I'll say something over you. And I'll probably be one of the few people that will. And, uh, and so, during that process, you get to meet a lot of people and get in a lot of situations. And I remember doing a funeral for an aunt of mine up in Copper Hill, Tennessee. Finished the funeral. Great guy. I really liked her. So, we're headed out down the hallway, going out to the hearse, go to the graveside service, you know. And so, I preached the sermon. So, I'm walking with an uncle that I really liked. Now, he's going to hell in a handbasket if he doesn't get saved. 
I really like him, but we're working on trying to get him saved. We're working on him all the time, praying for him. We're walking out, so I got my Bible, we're walking out side by side, because I really like him. He's just fun to be around. And he says, you people, and he's talking about me, he said, you people, you try to scare people into heaven, you make up more stories. He said, there's not a hell. I said, what? There's no hell. Y'all just made it up to scare people and trying to get them to act right and think there's a heaven. There's, there's no hell. I said, sure there is. I said, no, there's not. So we're almost out the door. People are walking by. Some are crying. Some are yapping. And so I just told my Bible. I said, here, read something. And he said, what? I don't care. Well, chapter 91, verse 1, read that right there. And he said, why? Well, you don't believe there's a devil. Well, why do you want me to read it? Well, the Bible says when the word comes, the devil comes immediately. And since you don't believe there is one, read something, he'll show up. And he stared at me for just a few seconds. Close that up. No, no, really, let's read some. And we went outside. He didn't make it to the graveside service, and I haven't seen him in three years. <laughs> Truth will set you free. Do you know that? Truth will set you free. Now, uh, when I first started traveling, uh, people wanted us because they thought we knew something. Well, it was because we had a big family, because we had six kids. People thought, well, you must know something about kids. You've got a boatload of them. I listened. I said, if you go to a bookstore, the book that talks about having babies is different than the book about when they show up, after they show up. Those are two different books. We read the first book. We're really good at having them. I don't have a clue what to do when they show up. We're just trying to shove them in a room and change their diaper and get them to brush their teeth. So we're not sure about that. But people assumed we knew a lot. So people would call us out. And we're on a great church staff. I worked in the electrical industry for 12 years. I'd worked as an engineer. God had blessed me immensely good because I hated school. When I was in school, I hated school with a passion. If I made a C, there was a God in heaven. I don't think I ever made a B. A lot of D's, a few F's. So, uh, all I wanted to do is play football and baseball and wrestle and go on a date and suck lips off somebody's face. That was my goal in life. And I thought I was making good progress. So, anyhow, I get out of school and I go to college. I was the only one in my family that had ever been to college with the University of Tennessee. Went there one year, and after that year, they wrote me a letter saying I could never come back. <laughs> it's a legal letter, because I was a doofus that year, and uh, doing things I shouldn't have done. So, uh, draft notice came out, Vietnam War's winded down, so uh, enlist in the Army. And so, I get back out of the service, and uh, I'm in love. I got my girlfriend. I've had her, she's been my girlfriend since she was 16, so I'm ready to get married. So, long story short, I said, uh, let's get married. She said, not until you get a real job. And I had a job. I was running a backhoe for a construction company. They got a real job. No, you, no, it doesn't pay any insurance. If I get pregnant, you have no health insurance. I'm not going to marry you. You have a job that pays health insurance. I said, okay. So I found a job at Olin Matheson, uh, Tennessee River in Chattanooga. Olin Matheson, big aluminum company. And, uh, and I'm not even the janitor. I'm just pulling nails out of blocks down by the river. But uh, the guard came down one day and said, Joe, you're being promoted to uh, janitor in, in the uh, milk cast department. So I got a job as a janitor. Yes. Does that pay insurance? Yes, it does. So I called my fiance. I said, honey, I got a real job. And this is Wednesday evening. I got a real job. I uh, start next Monday. They're going to give me four days off. So let's go on a honeymoon. I said, let's get married. She said, okay. And I said, okay. Now I'm a Southern man. We delegate everything to the women. We don't do anything. We delegate. That's what women do. They do everything. We just show up. It's true. So, took a long time to learn that lesson. So, anyhow, she called adjust the peace, and I wore my Sunday best. She wore her Sunday best. Next morning, 10 o'clock, we shut up. It was Veterans Day. Everything was closed back when. They used to honor veterans, so everything was closed. So, he opened up. He was uh, Mr. Godby. He owned a real estate company, but he also was a justice of the peace. He opened up at 10 o'clock. We went in. He read a few words. I said, I do. My wife said, I do. And we got married. 
We go back to the house, get some clothes. My mother-in-law, my new mother-in-law said, well, where y'all going? I said, I don't know. We haven't thought much about it. I said, I have four days off and I got $84 in my pocket. So we're going to drive out a half a tank of gas, spend $84, and we'll be back home. And, and so we got in the car. My wife said, well, how far can we go and have a tank of gas? About 150 miles. She, she drew a circle on the map. She said, we can go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Well, let's go. So we drove to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and we stopped in Maryville, Tennessee, and had a honeymoon meal at the Kentucky Fried Chicken. I love Kentucky Fried Chicken. And it was a buffet. Before they were famous, that buffet. And so we had Kentucky Fried Chicken, and uh, we pulled into Gatlinburg, and I'm looking for the first hotel I've come to. I'm not picking nothing up. I'm on my honeymoon. So the first one was called the Skyland Motel. It's still there, Skyland. Skyland Motel. Sits right on the cliff. Got a little two-story thing that sits on the cliff. So I pulled in, and I'm checking in, and the guy I could tell we're kind of hugging a lot and kissing a lot. He said, y'all on a honeymoon? I said, yes, we are. He said, well, you want the honeymoon suite? I said, well, how much is that? He said, well, it's an extra $2 a night. I'll take it. So the honeymoon suite was, you've got to be old to remember these. Used to in hotels, they had vibrating beds. <laughs> and they had like parking meters on the wall. You put quarters in. So there's my honeymoon So I popped six quarters in that puppy. I just loaded that puppy in. <laughs> the problem was it would never shut off. And you, it, I couldn't unplug it. It's hot wired to the wall. We had to sleep on the couch. I couldn't, I couldn't even go to sleep. And so, uh, so the next day they refunded my $2 to me. So we got back to Chattanooga and we're starting to work. She's working with the phone company. I'm working as janitor for this other company. About two weeks in our marriage, she said, Joe, let's talk about our future. And I said, okay. And she said, well, first thing is you need a better job. I had a better job. I took a worse one to marry you. No, you need a better job with benefits. I said, okay, I know that. She said, you want to have any kids? I said, what? You want to have any kids? I want kids. I don't want to grow by myself. I want somebody to take me to Sunday dinner and send me on a cruise, buy me a Winnebago. <laughs> Because I knew the scripture, parents lay it for the children, children lay it for the parents. You owe me. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, you owe me, bless God, you owe me. And so I told our kids, and we were growing up, and I told them, listen, uh, God's blessed me, I'm fine, but uh, don't you ever buy anything from me that fits in a box. I can go to Walmart by myself. If you buy me something, you either drive it up the driveway, it better be a cruise going somewhere. Now I'm serious, I'm not trying to be funny, I'm very serious. And many a time, two Christmases ago, these are my adult children, all out of college now, all married up. I said, Dad, we're saving up. God bless you, sugar. Big Winnebago, 32 foot, big Winnebago. And I told them because one of my daughters, my oldest daughter, got mouthy one day. She was always polite. She never lost her temper. One day I heard her mouth off to her mother. I thought, what did she say? And I stepped into the kitchen. I said, what did you just say to your mother? And she said, that's between mom and me. Oh, no, no, no. See, you don't understand. See, mom and I, we're forever. You're just passing through. You talk to her, you're talking to me. What did you say? She said, I said, I'll be glad when I'm out of here. So bless God, me too. That's been the goal since you left your mother's womb is to get you out of the house. That's but the, I just thought you could be another four years and go to college. But if you're ready, praise God. Now I'm mad. I went upstairs and got the suitcase, came downstairs, threw it open on the kitchen table. And I said, now what can we put in here? Now I'm thinking a minute, and of course my wife's just staring at me and my daughter's staring at me. Well, I guess nothing because I own everything you've got on. So if you go now, you're going buck naked. And see, and see, now what can you drive? And there were four vehicles in the driveway. I got a big fan. I said, well, I own all those too. So if you go now, you're going buck naked and barefoot. And see, you might want to stick around and finish school and get yourself a decent job and buy your own car and, you know, get some clothes. And they did. And, and actually, they're a college professor today. They got a doctorate and it turned out good. What we're lacking today in, in our country is everybody's too stinking nice. 
Yeah, it got quiet. We're supposed to love everybody. It's a command. But we don't have to be nice to everybody. And people don't understand that. The Bible says, listen, if somebody's thirsty, give them water. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're in prison, visit them. If they're sick, nourish them back to health. But if they're not living according to the Word of God, don't spend spare time with them and don't eat lunch with them. Because you become like who you hang around. And so, when I first started teaching on parenting, people would say, you can't tell your children what to do. I said, you're commanded to. I'll tell you when you're going to get up, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to go, when you're going to be home, who your friends will and will not be. Next to God, I'm the second biggest thing in your life. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> now I was a great parent. Now I was a great parent. And I've had to remind on several occasions. And that sometimes we get mad. I said, listen, listen. Let's see. Let's just think a minute. Now, see, who put the swimming pool in the backyard? Who did that? That was me. <laughs> yeah, that was me. Yeah, I forgot. Now, see, and who turned our front yard into a basketball court with floodlights on it? Oh, that was me. That was me. Let's see, who fixed your crooked teeth you were born with? That was me. Hot <laughs> dog. Let's see, who bought your car? Merry Christmas. Who pays your insurance? Merry Christmas. And I just went down the whole list and said, listen, you have a lot of enemies on this planet. I'm not one of them. Next to God Almighty, I'm the second greatest thing that's ever happened to you. I'm your parent. I'm not perfect. The Bible says the righteous fall seven times as they get back up. I still make dumb decisions and make mistakes, and I have to repent and forgive like everybody else, but I am the one in charge. And I've made decisions before with kids. I said, okay, new rule. Now, I had three rules in my house. Uh, one day I got mad. I got a new rule, new rule, and I barked it out. And my oldest daughter looked at me. It's, it's tough having a smart kid. Well, Dad, you can do that. But if you do that, this, this, and this is going to happen. And I stared at him and I said, yeah, it's a dumb rule. Forget that rule. That won't work. That won't work. <laughs> I'm not the head of my house because I took a test and I got the highest score. I'm the head of my house because God said so. Somebody's got to take responsibility. And I noticed in my own family, men do not like looking stupid. Number one goal of all males to get up today, God help me not look stupid today because I really like to look good. No man has ever prayed, God, could you humble me today? Because I've sort of been on a roll lately. It's really been going good. If you could just humble me a little bit, I'd really appreciate it. There's not a man alive that's ever prayed that prayer. We all want to look good. That's why we peel our tires out of a red light and, you know, we wear, we wear weird clothes. And, you know, when I was a kid, we wore our hair like Elvis and curled our lip up. Hey, hey. And if we didn't smoke, we curl cigarettes up in our sleeves. Hey, don't smoke. It's like we're trying to be somebody. We didn't know who we were. And so I've got, a, I've got a nephew, our family reunion every year. He's a great horseshoe pitcher. I like him. He's real good. So we usually win the family tournament every year up in the country. So he called for years and said, hey, Mr. Gee, you going to be there? Oh, yeah, be there, son. We're pitching horse. Yes, sir, we're going to win that trophy again. That's ours. We, we own that thing. And so, well, I'm ready for that. And what he did, he's, he's a real young guy. Yeah, I love his heart. But he has, been, he has been pierced everywhere in his face. You could stick something. I mean, he couldn't go through a, a, a radar detector or anything at the airport. They wouldn't let him in. He'd set off everything. He's pierced here and his eyeball and his eyelid and his lip and his tongue. He's pierced everything. But he's a great kid. He's good at horseshoes. <laughs> and so he said, Mr. Guy, I really appreciate you never judging me. You've never judged me. Said, you just accept me like that. Well, son, I love you. You're a great horseshoe pitcher. And so when I need to tell you something. This year I'm bringing my girlfriend with me to the reunion. I said, good. I'd like to meet her. He said, well, you, you know, Mr. Guy, now we're living together. Sure, I've heard about it. You're shacked up. That's what we used to call it. You're shacked up. He got kind of quiet. Well, we're just living together. Sure. 
He said, that doesn't bother you? No, son. No, I'm just going to pitch horseshoes. He said, well, I really appreciate you not jabbing. I said, son, it's great. He said, listen, I, I'm not jabbing. You're going to hell anyhow. You don't know Jesus. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to help you. And he got real quiet. He said, what? Oh, yeah, you don't know Jesus. You're going to hell anyhow. I just like to coach you pitch horseshoes real good. He got saved at the reunion that summer. <laughs> he still pierced up, but he got saved. Don't judge people how they look, or what they wear, how they dress. It's the inside thing, not the outside thing. Don't, don't get caught up in that. So this is a really good, this is a two-part message this morning, so I'm already about halfway through, so I need to jump in. When I started teaching on family and parenting, I thought, well, we're going to have to go back to the book. When I started teaching on marriage, I thought, well, let's find a, you know, I'm an engineer, so I do things by the book. So I went back to the book. By the way, this is volume one. <laughs> Called the Holy Bible. Volume two's not coming out. God's sticking with volume one. It, it still works. It's good. So I might want to read it every now and then. Because I don't scare the devil. This in my heart coming out of my mouth is what scares the devil. You got to get your weapon in you. You stay loaded up. So anyhow, uh, I started teaching on family and marriage and parenting, and I realized that early in my life, Pastor Mitch and I on the same staff, great church. We got up about 3,000 people in the early 80s. We were a mega church, and we didn't know why. We didn't know why they were showing up. They just showed up. And so we're trying to just keep up with everything. But uh, they couldn't rub two scriptures together. They're born again. They're spirit-filled. They can pray in tongues like a wild banshee. But they can't rub two scriptures together because we, they'd come to the parenting class and, Mr. Gay, can you pray for us and believe in God for my kids? What, what scripture are you standing on? What? What scripture are you believing for? I don't know. What, what scripture? Well, do you know any scripture? John three sixteen. Well, that's good. We got that one down. Do you know any other? And I realized they couldn't quote two scriptures. And we're in a great Bible teaching church. My pastor is a phenomenal teacher, still is. Incredible teacher. I said, but they're not listening. They're just showing up like a, we're going to get an ice cream Sunday. We had a good time. I've cleansed my soul. I repented. And we're going to go home, eat some chicken, and we'll have a good time, watch a football game, not go back Sunday night. And that's where most everybody was. So, guys, if you don't start loading up on this, hell's not afraid of you. Hell's afraid of Christ in you coming out of your mouth. You better load up. This is the only offensive weapon we possess. So, when I started the parenting thing, I had to go way back to the beginning. And this is my 9,487th sermon on this. And so, I do the same thing every time. I'll do this from on a plane next to somebody. Who are you? Well, I'm a, I'm a minister. Yeah, you a pastor? No, I'm just a minister. Preach the gospel. We do. I teach on family. And so I teach on four things. Marriage, parenting, men, and money. The four basic things. So if you, that pretty much covers everything. And so they'll ask questions. What do you believe? Well, I believe what the Bible says. Well, what Bible? Well, it doesn't matter which one you get. Same book, different translations. And so, uh, and they'll ask some pointed questions. And sometimes it scares them. Uh, one, time, one time we were flying Flying back to San Antonio, we hit some rough air. Now, we're in first class. I'm sitting, because I don't have to pay for first class. I've flown so much, I've got, I got frequent flyer things with everybody. And so, this guy's in a plane. Ben's got in a suit next to me. And so, I've been trying, I've got some stuff. I'm getting ready to do a seminar. I'm just sitting there, and my Bible's bouncing around. I'm trying to read this scripture. And he looked at me and said, is, is that a Bible? <laughs> uh, yeah. And he said, can I touch it? I'm not making this up. And he reached his hand over. <laughs> and we finally got some comments. You're through? That's good. It doesn't work that way, by the way. <laughs> this is not a magic wand, and you are not Tinkerbell. 
So anyhow, I would go back to Genesis, start with the first family. First family, everything went good. First six days of creation, everything's good. God's rehearsing out of his mouth what he's done. He feels real good about it. He's talking to himself. God, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's real good. And the first time God said, not good. In Genesis, first time in recorded scripture, God Almighty that created the universe said, not good. He was looking at a man, not good. And the man said, what's not good? You, not good. Well, what did I do wrong? You're alone. What's alone? He had no concept of alone. Just him, the birds, the bees, the flowers, the trees. So God said, here, let him take a nap. I'm going to fix that for you. Adam takes a nap. He wakes up missing a rib, and in front of him is a centerfold of life. Whoa. God said, I thought you'd like that. And Adam, he went off to fellowship that day. Fellowship. They didn't milk the cows or feed the camels. They went off to fellowship. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? What's that? I don't know, what's that? And they went off to fellowship. It's in the Bible. You know, when I first started teaching on family, I went to a Christian bookstore and said, have you got a Christian book on sex? What? Anybody written something on sex? I got this Dobson guy. Okay, I'll take it. If you go today to a Christian bookstore and you ask for a book on sex in a Christian bookstore, they're going to tell you, that'll be aisle two, aisle three, and half of aisle four. I didn't know we could make anything so simple, so complicated. How do we complicate something God made so simple? A man and a woman coming together, loving one another, enjoying one another. Well, hell showed up in the first marriage, <laughs> and Lucifer had been kicked out of heaven. So he comes into the first marriage, and he starts challenging the Word of God. Are you sure God said? Are you sure God, what's he challenging? The same thing he challenges thousands of years later. He's challenging this. He can't handle this. Jesus whipped him with this in the wilderness three times. It is written, it is written, and the devil had to leave. He couldn't handle the spoken word. It hits him like a two before. Boom, boom. The devil never plays fair, but he cannot handle the spoken word of God. It's the only offensive weapon we possess. So whatever you do, you better start saying what God says about it. People, I, I, I got a big family. So, well, we're just never going to make it. We, we never should have got married. We just we've fallen out of love. I told my one aunt, like I said, you did what? We've fallen out of love. I said, well, that's so sad. I said, when did you fall in? What? Well, you weren't born next to each other. You had to fall in before you fell out. When did you fall in? Well, I guess when we started dating. And now what? We've fallen out. And that's sad. I said, you can't fall out of love. Love's a choice. You can fall out of bed. You can fall off the couch. You can fall out of your car. You can fall in a ditch. You can't fall out of love. It's a choice. You choose to love. For God so loved, he did something. Love's what you do, not what you feel. I'm in love. No, you're Twitter-pated. It'll go away, trust me. It's a goofy hormone, and it's just going to not disappear one day. And you're going to wake up next to a she-bear in your bed, by the way, and that's another sermon. I said, love's a choice. You choose to love somebody. So Adam and Eve, they sinned. They got fired from the job, evicted from the house. Kids start killing each other. Well, that's the very first family. Well, it goes downhill to Revelation, except for right in the middle where we have silent night, holy night, we through kings of Orient are. Some people look forward to that by faith. We look back on it by faith. What's God going to do? He's in heaven watching all this mess. He said, well, son, look, now here's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. They're watching Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden. And so I knew he was going to go stupid on me, son. I knew he was going to go stupid on me. I'm going to have to send you down there to fix it. You're the only one I got, but you got to go. Thing is, you can't go like you because a human lost it. A human's got to get it back. God can't show up like Superman, take it away from the devil, hand it back to his man. God does not cheat. God never cheats. He lives according to the word, his word. And so he said, I'm going to have to send you down there. Well, how are we going to do this? Well, you can't go like you. 
I'm up to shoving that mother's womb. Now I'm going to say, she's going to shove you out, and you're going to spend 30 years just figuring out who you are. Jesus didn't know who he was. He heard all the stories. I mean, in Luke uh, chapter 2, mom and dad lost him for three days. You know, Mary and Joseph, Silent Night, Holy Night. They go down to the temple every year for an eight-day festival. Well, he's 12 years old. Jesus is 12. By now, most historians say he's got two younger brothers by now, maybe three. So they go down, eight days later, they're coming home. It ends at noon. We're going to head home. Well, it's, they go about four hours from Jerusalem because it's a four-day march home. There's not buses. There's no, there's no police. They, they went in a group of people to protect one another. And so they're traveling in the big caravan. And they make camp before sundown. So Mary gets everything settled. And get, Joseph gets the tent put up. And they tie up the camels or whatever. She's getting dinner ready. And she says, hey, Joseph, get the kids in here. It's time to eat. So the kids come into the tent to eat. And all of a sudden, she left. Where's Jesus at? He said, I don't know. I'll call for him. She said, well, go get Jesus. Well, the Bible says that he disappeared from about dark. He comes back in. And Mary says, where have you been? Well, I've been looking for Jesus. Well, where's he at? Get him. The food's cold. Get him in here. Well, he's not here. What? He's not here. I've been from one of the camp twice back. He's not here. What do you mean he's not here? I think we left him in Jerusalem. We left the Son of God in Jerusalem? We didn't leave one of these. We left that one. What kind of father are you? What kind of mother are you? And they yelled all night. It's not in the scripture because there's none in the pages. <laughs> but they yelled all night. And the next morning, they, they hand off the other kids to relatives. They hoof it back to Jerusalem. Four hours, they go back to Jerusalem. The Bible says for three days, they're looking for Jesus. Now, they didn't have photographs. Hey, have you seen this kid? There's no picture. Now, where's Jesus at? He's a 12-year-old boy. He's in a bowling alley, a pool hall, a movie theater. Where's a 12-year-old boy at when he's got time on the sands? Three days later, they've lost the Son of God. We're going to burn in hell forever. We're going to burn in hell forever. And they're trying to think, where have we not looked? And I think Joseph's the one that spoke. He says, well, we've not looked in the temple. You know, he's not normal. <laughs> and they walked in the temple, and there Jesus sits, astounding the religious leaders with his questions and his answers. What's he doing there? He's trying to figure out who he is. So Mary speaks up, and she says, like all women do, why have you done this to your father and I? Because the moms are mad. They always drag the dad into the conversation. Dad doesn't care. He just wants to go home. Dear God, come on, so let's go home. Why have you done this to your father and I? And Jesus answers in the King James. He says this, know ye not I need to be about my father's business? I don't know about you, Mom, but I got stuff I need to be doing. What's he doing? He's trying to figure out who he is. He's heard the stories about the wise men and the angels that flap wings and run off to Egypt and didn't hear a dying coming. He's heard the stories, but he can't raise a dead goldfish. He probably didn't even make his own bed. He's a normal guy. It's Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. God is in that human body. Who's in that human body? The second one, the Godhead that created everything, is in that human body. But that human's having to learn who he is. Just like you don't have to learn who we are when we get born again. I got born again real at age 21. I've been born again at 12. They wouldn't let you get saved in my church till you were 12. They didn't think you understood. So once a month we'd take communion. And I, lo- I wanted a communion so bad. Because we had real glass cups, not them sissy plastic things. And, and, it, and I grew up watching Roy Rogers and Gene Autry. I love cowboy movies. So I wanted a shot glass. And the only place I had a shot glass was church. And they had, them, they had them once a month at communion. And so when the communion thing came, you couldn't touch it. Just, it's got to go by. Well, there it goes. So my buddy Mike Blake and I turned 12 the same weekend in October, third weekend in October. We say, getting saved on Sunday. Yes, I'm getting saved on Sunday. <laughs> so we're getting, so communion things come by and it's like, it's our day. Well, they had something different that day. And they waited communion to the very end. 
And so they gave the altar call, and I need to get saved. I'm going down. Now, I cried that day because I don't want to go to hell. Why'd you get saved? I don't want to go to hell. You love Jesus? I don't give a hoot about Jesus. But if I need him to not go to hell, I'll take him. I'd heard enough hellfire preaching in my life. I do not want to go to hell. So I'm walking down. I'm crying. So I go down, and our parents came down. Pastor Aiken's a wonderful pastor, and they're laying hands on us, thanking God, raising, shouting, whatever. And we're underneath. So they hand us our communion. So I got my bread. We had real bread, not them sissy crackers. And I got a real shot glass. And so our parents over here, and I look at Mike, and he's just like, hey. <laughs> and, and we took communion. So the first thing I did when I got saved was I stole the shot glass. <laughs> I still have it. I never did take it back. I still got it. Well, you know, you kind of go through life, you realize I'm, I'm 21, I realize I do need Jesus. I need to get filled with the Holy Ghost. So I got, re- I got re-saved, you know, and got baptized with the Holy Ghost. So I had my pastor went to Pentecostal church. Now, I got water baptized three times in one summer. When I showed back up second time, she said, you already been baptized. I need to get it again. I watched my mother marinate me. It didn't soak. I need to get marinated again. Put me under, hold me under for a while. And so three times that summer, I got water baptized. I'm legal. I'm legal. I got three pieces of paper that said I'm legal. And so I realized it's a growing process, but you've got to be hanging around the people of God. You've got to be feeding on the Word of God or you'll stop growing. And that's where hell shows up. Hell's not afraid of me. Hell's afraid of Christ in me. So all of a sudden I watch Jesus grow. And it says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, favor with God and favor with man. Well, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus comes back, you know, from the wilderness thing after he's an adult and he comes back. He walks into the temple, and it's his turn to read. He just happens to be on the Sabbath. Hey, Jesus, your turn to read. It happens to be Isaiah. And he reads the passage out of Isaiah. I'm going to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out devils. And, and he sits down in the chair. Now, every Sunday, every synagogue, I just came back from my third trip to Israel. And every, every synagogue in the world, especially in Israel, has an embroidered chair right in front of the pulpit where you preach. It's embroidered. Nobody sits in that chair. That's for Messiah to sit when he comes back. Every temple in the world has one. It's for Messiah when he comes back there. So when Jesus finishes reading, he goes back over and he sits down in that chair. There are no chairs. Everybody sits on the ground, a little thing around, and they've got one. And he sits down in it. And he says, today is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In the Bible, in every translation, I got New Living Translation, two men start talking. And one guy says, we got to have him read more often. Man, he reads good. We got to have him read more often. Man, he knows how to read that. And his buddy said, yeah, what did he say though? What? Yeah, I know he read good, but what did he say? Well, he said he's the one. The one one. Well, he thinks he's the one. He's sitting in the chair. And all of a sudden, they don't know. He's sitting in the chair. And the Bible says a mob broke out. And they attacked Jesus, drug him out of there. Now, this is the local Home Depot owner. He owns a Home Depot. His family, they're the carpenters. You need a bed made. You need a doorpost. You need a mastery boat. They do all the carpenter work in town. That's what he's known for. His dad's known for it. He's known for it. He took over the family business. All of a sudden, he says he's a son of God. They're going to drag him outside and they're going to throw him off a cliff. Well, the Bible says he walked right through the middle of them. And several verses later, he's back in the temple and he's in there. And people there are mad at him. I tell people, you don't have to do anything to make people mad at you. You just need to be born. Some people wear themselves out trying to make somebody, I'm going to make them like me. No, you're not. Some people just choose not to like you. They'll never like you. The Bible said to the disciples, the apostles said, I'm going to send you out two by two. Go into a house and speak peace to it, he said. If the peace slaps you back in the face, walk outside, shake the dust off your feet, go to the next house. Don't argue with them. God's the one that gets people saved. I'm just, a, I'm an instrument. I'm not the Holy Ghost. I can't convict you or convince you. I'm here to witness. If you're ready, hey, I can lead you in. If you're not ready, that's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I'm going to love you, be nice to you. And so all of a sudden, 
few days later, Jesus is back in the temple. He says, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Now, what has he done? The Bible says Jesus never sinned once. Jesus never sinned once. But he's got enemies. Now, what did he do to get enemies? Nothing. What do you do to get enemies? Nothing. You just be born. Then it says Jesus' critics watched him closely. He had critics talking bad about him. You have family members that talk bad about you. You got a, 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 employees you're working with that talk bad about you. What did I do so wrong? You were just born. Welcome to planet Earth. Satan is the God of this planet. He steals, kills, and destroys. John 10, 10. But we have authority over him, and you have to use it. You're to pray for those in authority. You're to pray for your family. You're to pray for your fellow workers. Pray what? Well, God bless you. And I mean that in sincerity. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> it messes with them. When you love people that don't deserve love, it messes with them. They'll eventually ask you about the hope that's in you. So, so, he goes, so it says, Jesus' enemies, Jesus' critics, and then three verses later it says, they went to the Herod and the king, and they go down and they plotted how they could kill Jesus. Anybody plotting to kill you today? Jesus had people trying to kill him dead. He had enemies, he had critics. What did he do wrong? Nothing. So try to relax and go through life being a blessing of those that let you bless them. Don't wear yourself out trying to make somebody be blessed. Hey, if you're ripe, I can help you. If you're ready to listen, I share. So I used to tell people, you know, I used to witness the wrong way. I drove all my family nuts after I got out of Bible school. I was a witnessing machine. They stopped inviting me. One Christmas, we did not get invited. I thought, well, maybe they canceled the family thing this year. So I got to talk to them on the phone. They didn't cancel. They were all there except us. You know, they didn't want us showing up. So it took about two years to change. So finally we changed. We stopped witnessing to anybody. And I told them, well, we're going to show up early. We're going to take food. We're going to wash dishes, vacuum the floor. We're going to clean their toilets. We're going to fold their clothes. We're going to, leave the, we're going to get there first and we're going to leave there last. Leave it better than you find it. Don't say nothing about Jesus. We're just there loving on you. Eventually they'll start asking about the hope that's in you. Hey, can I ask you a question? Sure. What makes you different? I'm sorry, what? What makes you different? I don't know, how am I different? Well, you just love everybody. Yeah, I just love a God shed about my heart by the Holy Ghost. And, and, and they'll ask. And so don't, don't give a long answer. Don't think when they ask a question, hey, I got a 30 minute message I'd like to give you. Just keep it real short. What happened to you? I got born again. What? I got born again. What's that? I got saved. What's that? I made Jesus the Lord of my life. Are you one of those Pentecost? Yeah. What, what, what's that mean? Well, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, what's that mean? I'm praying in tongues. You can? Mm-hmm. You want to hear me? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm not making this up. This actually happened. But we've had more family members get saved just because we just started loving on them and not preaching to them. And so, I realized something. We're in the greatest time of human history today. We have opportunities you can't even imagine to love on people. We get to love on people. Now, I'm just going to read one thing real short. I know I'm over time, but it's, this, is a, this is a thing I collect stories all the time. This is a guy just got out of school years ago in the late 70s. He knew computers were going to be the hottest thing going on. So he's going to get a job at a good computer company. So he goes to the first one. It's a brand new computer company called Tandy. Remember Tandy Computers? So he goes in, Tandy Computers, gets an interview with the owner. And he says, what's your vision for your company? He did this three companies. What's your vision for your company? Well, we hope this holiday season that our stock goes up to $2 a share. Said, well, that's not much. Go to the second company, Commodore Computers. Got an interview with Commodore Computers. And he went into an interview with the owner and said, what's your vision for Commodore Computers? And he said, well, 
We hope to do real good this Christmas season. They, they hope to sell a lot at Christmas season. So we got us another guy named Steve Jobs. Yeah, I heard that name. And he said, what's your vision for this company? And he said, for the next hour, Steve Jobs did not shut up. He talked about how computers are going to change the world. Everybody will have one in their home. They'll have one in their hand. He had a vision for the computer. And that's who he went to work for. Where there's no vision, the people perish. We're the believers of God. We're children of God. We got vision. We're going to live forever. We're here to change the world. That's us. Don't ever let depression come out of your mouth or negative and say, who are you? I'm the redeemed of the Lord and I'm going to say so. It says, let the, let the poor say I'm strong. Or the poor say I'm rich. Let the weak say I'm strong. Call those things that be not as though they are. And I went through Canada one time for three weeks on a train preaching a lot of churches. And one guy asked me one time, he said, are you one of those name and claim it preachers? And I said, what? Are you one of those name and claim it preachers? I never heard that. I said, well, I guess so. That's how I got saved. What? Yeah, Romans 10, 9 and 10. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for me, and God raised from the dead, and I confess it with my mouth. That's how I got saved. Really? Yeah, it's in the Bible. Romans. <laughs> I didn't get a goosebump. I didn't see an angel. I didn't hear a wind. I didn't see a fire. I just gave my heart to Jesus. I got born again. And so all of a sudden, people begin to change. So when you get an opportunity this year to share with somebody, keep it short, keep it sweet, and keep it to the point. Amen.